Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Uh, today we're going to talk about allergies and the autoimmune epidemic. You might wonder what allergies have to do with autoimmune. Well, you're going to learn in a couple of minutes. Now, we're not going to go through how to solve a peanut allergy or... <coughs> or a food allergy or gluten allergy or any of those those things. We want to do just the basic, like what your body is responding to. And when you understand the basics of an allergic response by the body, you're going to understand the basics of how to correct the problem. So what are the causes? Okay, and this is going to sound uh, crazy, but the causes is an abnormal recognition of a foreign protein. So this means that your body recognizes a foreign protein has really bad, and that's literally the, the allergic response. Now, how do these foreign proteins get into your system? Well, you can eat them, inject them, um, that's, or, or have some type of uh, an, an inoculation. Okay, so, so when you're getting these foreign proteins, it could be from a vaccine, it could be from medication, toxic food, you could damage your intestinal tract, and proteins that should be tempered by digestion aren't, then they start floating around. So that's going to be an increased intestinal permeability. There's a lot of different sources of this. Um, the key is, in the environment that we're in, um, a lot of the medications, manufactured food products, and vaccines are introducing a huge number of foreign proteins on our system that our body never um, has, has, has recognized before. Or the worst one, is that your body is sensitized by some type of abnormal protein and then you're exposed to it. That's the key. That's when you get that, that extreme allergic response. There's when some allergies, like peanut allergies, nut allergies, can literally kill you. And this is why currently, you're talking just about every school, back when schools actually had children inside of them, the teachers would have EpiPens and now not this is a recent phenomenon because it hasn't been there you know all the time because the incidents have uh, not been up now uh, doing the research on this i came across an article now this is 20 years ago okay in the new england journal of medicine and the title of the article is daycare siblings and asthma please sneeze on my child yes that's the title of the article the article is Please Sneeze on My Child. And so it goes on to stay, and they talk about how, how that a human immune system actually needs exposure to environmental toxins. And you actually do. And they're looking at studies of kids raised in child care, kids raised at, at home, kids raised with animals and pets. And it turns out that the more challenges you give to that immune system, the stronger and healthier it gets. And I love this um, quote at the bottom, quote, for those of us who share the futive, uh, furtive guilt of having left marginally ill toddlers at daycare, these findings also offer a sense of relief. Perhaps we're only doing our part to restore the Th1 and Th2 balance and to stem the rising tide of asthma and allergic diseases. Wait a second, does that mean that that we shouldn't block everyone off, okay, that you actually need um, a certain exposure. Uh, it, isn't that interesting, you know? 
just just thought thought I'd throw that in there. <clears throat> now, um, the health of America is crazy because we're looking at um, a one in two with cancer, one in five with autoimmune disorders. So this is like twenty fifty to twenty five percent of our our population has got a severe chronic illness or injury. Fifty percent. <clears throat> 54% of our children have a chronic illness, 60% of our adults. Half our population, 50%, will get cancer. Does that sound like a healthy population or not? Um, allergy statistics. Um, the U.S. population tests positive allergens, about 55%. You're talking almost $8 billion a year is a cost to the healthcare system. And... I, I, we just need to change this system. <clears throat> the CDC government facts report that it's going through the roof. So, so why? Think of how many animals are allergic to their environment. How many times have you seen a bear sneezing or an elephant in its herd sneezing <clears throat> or a caribou eating a, a, a weed and, and breaking out in a rash? <clears throat> no, so this is a little bit different. So if our species, aside from the inbred animals that we breed, you know, like a, the weird dogs and things that we get out of wolves, um, why are allergy rates increasing? Well, for one, there's a hygiene hypothesis. And this is the decreased gut flora and superbugs from ant uh, antibiotic use. The other one is going to be toxic food proteins, such as food preservatives, you know, they're using polysorbate 80. They're using all sorts of things where they're literally removing um, digestive enzymes from the food in order to give it a longer shelf life. Uh, vaccinations, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. And also genetics. It, it's interesting because if you're in a population, let's say in Northern Europe, and you've been raised, your generations have been raised with animal proteins like dairy, cheese, milk, fantastic, then you're going to have um, or, or enzymes in order to break that down because you've got these enzymes from your grandma, great-grandma, great-great-grandma, so it's normal for you. Now, if you were raised by generations who did not get dairy, you know, they weren't raising goats or things like that, then you may have a lactose intolerance, so it might be harder for you to process dairy products. So genetics on your great family history, um, those were designed to have you thrive. And there is a thing called genetic expression or genetic suppression. So anything that you're exposed to, that you've had a history of, you can express that gene for health. You could also express it for disease. So there could be a sensitization. So genetics are, are interesting. Not the most common cause, but it is a factor. So so what about the hygiene hypothesis? Well, when we look at it, bacteria in our digestive tract are essential to digestion. And they, they educate your immune system. Figure you've got this vagus nerve that supplies everything. It comes down to the base of the brain, goes down the esophagus, and it supplies every function that your digestive tract does. Excretion of acids, absorption of nutrients, movement of food through the intestinal tract. It does everything except 90% of it is sensory. 90% of it is sensory. That means that when you're eating an apple, avocado, berry, something, 
this um, actually sends information up into the brain to tell your brain what to do. To, so is this a good food? Is this not a good food? And the digestive system or gut flora is a key development in the child's immune system. Now, um, in the normal gut flora, and this is um, bacteria that you are not supposed to mount a defense to, um, and this populates your intestinal tract. This is why it's hugely important when you have a little baby that that baby is skin on skin. It's skin on skin on the mom, skin on skin on the dad, and kids will be licking, moving around, everything, and they need to know what bacteria is beneficial, um, what funguses are beneficial, what viruses are beneficial, and what pathogens they need to fight. So in that connection moment with the mom and child, it's essential that they get that healthy bacteria. Even uh, kids born through C-section, cesarean section, they're now swabbing the inside of the vaginal tract and they're rubbing this, they're inoculating the skin of the child if they were brought through a C-section to help their skin. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And the bacterial flora of our digestive tract isn't really as rich and diversified as it used to be because we do have this... Um, this bacteria or germ-phobic society, which is um, <clears throat> it's not conducive to health by any means. Now, when we look at anaphylactic, this term was uh, coined by Ro uh, Charles Robert Richet. Now, he won a Nobel Prize in medicine for his work with anaphylaxis. And, and just, just think of this. This is what he said, quote, we are so constituted that we can never receive other proteins in the blood than those that have been modified by digestive juices. Every time an alien protein penetrates by a fraction, uh, the organism suffers and becomes resistant. Isn't that interesting? And, and this is back in 1913. Now, we know that our body is continually adapting, continually adapting. That's why 90% of that nervous system from the gut sends information up into the brain. We need that adaptation because you may be living in um, Alaska and, and eating nothing but whale blubber, and you may be living in the desert eating nothing but, but grasshoppers and uh, dates. So, so you're going to have to adapt to those extremes because you are human but your gut flora has to change. Everything has to change. And so your body really needs to be skilled in adapting to different areas. <clears throat> like if you've ever heard of Montezuma's Revenge, that's typically people going to another country, usually Mexico, um, and that's where the, current, uh, the term came from. And they eat some food down there and they get diarrhea. Well, all that was basically is your body is transferring the gut flora bacteria out of the old gut flora into the new gut flora. And that's hugely important because if you're coming into, say, a lay area uh, and you're coming from another area, you might call it Los Angeles revenge, <laughs> not Montezuma's revenge, because there's going to be an exchange of gut flora too, unless you live in both places, and then your, your gut flora is going to adapt. So that adaptation is key when you're talking about allergies and uh, allergic responses. This is also the function of the appendix, which is brilliant. Your body is designed to evacuate that bowel if you have any, anything in there that, that's harmful to you. And that's called diarrhea. 
Well, the appendix is there, and that's literally there to that appendix is there literally designed to um, repopulate your intestinal tract with healthy bacteria. And I mean, we're we're looking at the the sickest kids that you've you've ever seen on the planet. I mean, autism rates are are through the roof, but you don't hear about that. So so let's just look at this. I mean, so so what is this? Is autism inflammation of the brain? Well, some people say that because there is heavy metal toxicities that's consistent. What about bowel disorders in autistic kids? I, I've seen it 100% of the time. And we know that autism rates are on the rise. So what kind of things have changed in our world? I mean, if you look at 2004, and figure that was only 17 years ago. Um, it was about 1 in 166. If you look at earlier than that, in the 90s, you're looking at 1 in 10,000. So we have had a consistent rise, consistent rise uh, in the autism rates every year. And, and soon, they say by 2030, 2035, uh, we'll have about... a um, one in two autistic rates. Uh, now, we know that chronic illness, chronic diseases, there have been more than a 30-fold increase since the first studies of autism, and it's three to four times higher than girls than boys, or boys than girls. A brilliant article out of the Journal of the American Medical Association, and they're talking about trends in infectious diseases. Now, this was done in 1999 or 20 years ago, and they said, we're leaving an era of uh, pestilence and famine and where they had, had high rates of infectious disease deaths in the young to an age of degenerative and man-made diseases. Isn't that interesting? So we're leaving infectious diseases um, and we're going into degenerative and man-made diseases. And back now, okay, well, this was 1999, Infectious diseases accounted for about 4% of the deaths, where chronic and cancer diseases account for 81% of the deaths. Um, inter interesting world. So when we're talking about allergies and autoimmune conditions, the, the, one of the most brilliant guys out there, and I think some of his YouTubes still haven't been censored, Professor Yehuda Schoenfeld, and he calls himself an autoimmunologist. I mean, just a brilliant guy. Now, this guy has published more than 1,900 papers, authored 40 books, uh, contributed more than 350 chapters to various books. I mean, uh, he's on the board of 43 medical journals. So this guy knows. And, uh, I mean, he's gone through um, and looked at, say, goal for illness. And he's talking about the adjuvants inside of the vaccine causing an autoimmune di disorder or condition and where the body attacks itself. And there's a couple of good articles, one from Neuromolecular Medicine. Title of the article is Aluminum Adjuvant Linked to Gulf War Illness Induces Motor Neuron Death in Mice. Another um, article, and this was published in um, the Journal of Vaccines and Autoimmunity. Quote, like other drugs, vaccines can cause adverse events, but unlike conventional medicines, which are prescribed to people who are ill, 
vaccines are administered to healthy individuals, thus increasing the concern over the adverse reactions. However, rare reactions such as hypersensitivity of infections uh, and induce of infection and autoimmunity do occur and can be severe and even fatal. The, moreover, the latency period between vaccination and autoimmunity ranges from days to years. Isn't that something? And so, so when you're looking at this, here's um, a quote from that same article from the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices and the Center for Disease Control. They concluded that three years later, a causal relationship be, exists between arthritis and two vaccine combos, the DPT and the MMR. Were you aware of that? You know, well, do they reduce the incidence of diseases? Yes, yeah, some studies show that they actually reduce diphtheria and some tetanus and some pertussis and some measles and some mumps and some rubella. Um, however, did you know that there's an increase in arthritis um, between those? So, you know, let's, let's actually not follow along for the heck of it. I mean... Uh, the article goes on to state a causal relationship where that literally it caused um, the influence of vaccine in Guillain-Barre was noted out or after an outbreak um, after the administration of the swine flu vaccine in 1976. So there are certain challenges of getting injectables into your body and to see how your system works. Because um, remember, what is an allergy? What is an autoimmune condition? Autoimmune is your body is attacking itself. Allergy is your body's abnormal recognition of a foreign protein. Could an autoimmune be a similar origin of the allergy? Well, it could be. Let's let's just you know again, we're just putting the information out there. <clears throat> when we look at this new um, mRNA vaccine using totally different technology. It's um, you know never been studied beyond eight weeks, and it is turning your cells into a virus-producing machine, where it's literally going to teach your cells to put a spike protein on the outside. Now, that's going to sensitize your immune system to any cell that has that spike protein. Now, you might think, well, wait a second. If I'm sensitizing my cells to a spike protein that um, is one of my own cells, couldn't that cause a challenge like that? Yeah, they called it ADE, or um, and and well, what what that does? It's literally your body is recognizing itself as a problem and then attacking it. And they noticed that in the animal studies when they were trying to do the first SARS COVID vaccine. Um, that that the animals developed a nice antibody response. The problem is when they were exposed to the regular virus that it caused a huge amount of problems. Uh, I mean, literally death in 100% of the animals. Now, we know the FDA is looking at uh, a, po a list of possible adverse event outcomes to this current COVID-19 vaccines. And there are pregnancy and birth outcomes, but a lot of itis or inflammation, like encephalitis, myelitis, encephalomyelitis, convulsion, seizures. And so all of these are literally um, negatively affecting the body, but it has to do with the immune system or inflammation. 
inflammation, and that's one of the main causes or problems with allergies, that it is literally an inflammatory response. You know, you're looking at skin inflammation, you're looking at gut inflammation, eye inflammation. And so, again, that has to happen with tissue damage. And if you're injecting a foreign protein and your body's been sensitized to that, then it's going to mount um, an antibody response. And these antibodies can literally attack certain organs. So if you're mounting an antibody attack on, say, proteins that, that look similar to the pancreas proteins, you could end up with um, altered pancreatic function and then you know, misdiagnosed with diabetes when really it's the body attacking itself. Uh, it could attack the brain, and then you could have inflammation or encephalitis, like it says on the FDA package there, and that can cause altered function, physiology, everything. Thrombocytopenia, we know there's um, several cases of people dying after the shot of that. And so what is that? That's literally platelet cells that are not forming correctly, and you need platelet cells in order to live. Um, a great one out of the European Association of Predictive and Preventative and Personalized Medicine. And they talk about vaccines and autoimmune. Now, this was out of 2017. So they're not talking about this new generation of vaccines that we have that's never really been tested in the human population except for now. It's interesting that their list is also um, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, Guillain-Barre, type 2 diabetes. And you can see that, that if these are attacking certain organs, like if you have antibodies towards the joints, rheumatoid arthritis, antibodies towards the um, nervous system, multiple sclerosis, uh, reactive arthritis, dermatomyositis, inflammation of that, um, of the skin and muscles. And, and you start thinking, well, wait a second. Uh, could this be a contributing factor? Well, let's look at that, that article again. A vaccination and autoimmune disease is prevention of adverse effects on the horizon. Um, the, and I love this quote. These observations raise whether vaccination should be recommended or avoided in autoimmune risk. Isn't that cool? So like individualizing care, so actually assessing people. And uh, here's one at a clinical rheumatology, 2018. The auto-inflammatory syndrome induced by adjuvants. And this is called the Asia syndrome. Autoimmune inflammatory syndrome induced by adjuvants. That's Asia. Uh, now, uh, it's an it's an adjuvant leads an exposure to an adjuvant, and this is what they add in the vaccines to trigger that immune system response. Now they're saying you're looking at at arthralgia or joint pain, uh, muscle pain, chronic fatigue are the most re symptoms reported in 89% of the patients. So what do we do about this? And and then I'm going to go through. Um, a number of different articles, influenza, Guillain-Barre syndrome, a couple of articles on that. When we're looking at influenza vaccine and diabetes, uh, MMR and thrombocytopenia, HPV and multiple sclerosis, HBV and uh, SLE or lupus, MMR and thrombocytopenia, 
MMR and rheumatoid arthritis, HPV and primary ovarian failure. Uh, that's right, the ovarian cancer or the the cervical cancer vaccine um, is very, very common to wipe out the ovaries. Um, HPV vaccine and systemic lupus, HPV vaccine and uh, Asia syndrome, HPV vaccine and transverse myelitis. Uh, and here's a really good article on genetic basis for autoimmune diseases following vaccinations. And I've got 15 pages tonight that I'm going to put up of um, references so that you can look up this interesting uh, effect. Uh, but again, in, in our culture nowadays, not only can you not say anything that's promoting vitamins or anything that's against the government, and luckily we have a very militarized government now, um, so they they have to protect them from the people. <laughs> this is this is America, okay? So so um, I'm going to put this information out there. Uh, this one we actually are talking about allergies and autoimmune diseases, and we are mentioning that that vaccines can have a negative effect. Uh, I don't know if the sensors will allow this. So if you get this, please record it. Uh, it's going to be on our Dr. B VIP site. Uh, it will be on our Facebook. We're going to live stream to Extreme Health Academy. <clears throat> and so if you're interested in, uh, in objective science and a different opinion, please share this. Uh, if, if, if a differing opinion other than the narrative that's placed on CNN, uh, would offend your friends. Don't don't support. Uh, don't don't share it, because uh, I've got some family members that can't listen to it either. It's like, nope, I'm fine. Now, when we're looking at anaphylaxis, and again, that's the term coined um, by uh, the Nobel Prize winner in 1913. Here's an article out of Medscape, Anaphylaxis Cases After COVID Vaccine, Rising But Still Rare. Uh, now, they said, Pfizer, uh, said that we should see about 1.3 uh, cases of anaphylactic per million doses. Now, how many vaccine reactions or cases of anaphylaxis are acceptable? Uh, well, nobody really knows. Okay, it's kind of up to you. If you kill um, two people out of a million, but you save a million lives, is that a fair trade? If you cause autoimmune condition in a few thousand, is vaccinating or reducing symptoms really worth it? Now, knowing that this current um, vaccine from Moderna and from, from Pfizer, it does not protect you from transmission. It doesn't decrease your infectivity, so it doesn't protect you from transmitting it. You need two shots of it, and the shots are fairly expensive, but they've been studied for no more than eight weeks, okay, on an enclosed population. Now, this is brand new vaccine technology, and you're looking that the side effects will not be known for years, years. The data that we just presented, it's, you're looking at three to five years before you see it. Um, here's one out of the National Institute of Health.gov. Nanoparticles in vaccines. Now, the encapsulated RNA in a package that can travel through the bloodstream and reach at targeted cells is quite a challenge. 
uh, endocytosis and how it gets into the cell and then escapes into the endosome to release its payload requires decades of work. This hasn't been easy. An important precursor to nanoparticle vaccinology is basic research on small interfering RNA, a breakthrough that won the 2006 Nobel Prize, that can seek and destroy complementary strands of RNA. In essence, we can turn off any gene we want. And this is the vaccine, if you get it, from Pfizer and Moderna. So it's literally altering your gene expression. Now, knowing that this was studied no more than uh, eight weeks, and it's going to be on our, uh, some of these reactions won't be there for three to four years, for a, a sickness, an illness that's about similar to the flu, it's looking at 0.1 to 0.3% okay, of the population. That means if you read that backwards, 99.9% of the population or 99.7% of the population will not have an issue with this. And the same number of people died in 2020 as they did in 2019. Actually, a slightly less increase because there have been, since 2014, about a 1.2 to 1.3% increase every year. Last year, it was 1.1. But you also see heart attack deaths decline, cancer deaths decline, flu deaths decline. Why? Because they were all listed as COVID. So it's time to wake up and smell this. Um, we've got to take our country back. We were in a country last year, actually before last year, that had freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of ideas, freedom of religion, where you could assemble in a church and pray. You didn't need to mask yourself or run away or isolate. This is a communist takeover of our country. We need to change our world by taking our freedoms back. And ideas should withstand the furnace of debate. Let's get out there and debate, my friends. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you, and I love you.